Panic mode. Panic mode engaged, Dennis. Kev. A rare weekend morning record for us. We're at the top of our game today. I love this. I you know, I like uh having a cup of Joe doing these records. I feel like this is putting me in the podcasting mood. Yes, yes. Some people can hear me swallow that hot coffee. <laughs> uh before we get into any of this, I don't even know how I should do this. I've got some net news. <laughs> I've got some news from the net. Who knows when this episode comes out in relation to when the net came out. Oh my gosh. Hot off the press. Okay. Couple things. Uh, my analysis of that, uh, <laughs> her coworker plane crash scenario yes. had some, uh, there was some things to be improved upon and avid listener, uh, <laughs> my, my brother's friend Rob, who we occasionally call Know It All Rob in a in a, a loving way, or uh, well, actually Rob, but he had some. He listens to the podcast, loves the podcast, great guy. Uh, those things that he crashed into were nuclear cooling towers. Yeah. Oh, now I'm worried. I'm going to say nuclear wrong. Nuclear. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. I'm nuclear sure cooling enough. towers. <laughs> and uh, Rob is also our uh, our experts on all things uh, uh, nuclear missile protocol because he was, uh, you know, he was a, a nuclear engineer in the Navy, was on subs back in the uh, back in the nineties, <laughs> late nineties, early two thousands. So, uh, and then he also. Um, had is so, uh, got some previous experience as an amateur pilot. That that I was thinking in my head, modern generation, how I would assume you know GPS and landing stuff goes. But apparently, at the time, um, it would be like a very similar thing. But that uh, system they were using was like called ILS for landing, and um, it was based on a ground signal from the airport so i didn't even think about it but gps um maybe i I took gps for granted a little bit there on uh on how they would do that so Mm. um yeah so some great great feedback from the net maybe we'll edit this out because this is going to come out like december 4th 2021 and we have to release the net on july 15th but hey net news love it now what's net new huh Mm-hmm. Segway. Dennis, uh, what's net new? Anything? What's going on? What's going on with me? Yeah. Uh, I had made a huge step forward in my quarantine project of uh, restoring a typewriter and doing a custom paint job. So spent most of the day yesterday doing that, and it came out looking fantastic. So I'm super pumped. I know. You sent me a, a, a picture of a typewriter, and I was just thinking to myself, if I had a typewriter, what would I do with it? I mean, is, are we just, is this thing on the shelf? Are you cracking this thing out in meetings to take notes? 
<laughs> I have yet to do that. Although I guess I should be taking. I think that advantage. that would be awesome. By yeah. the way, it would just be like, okay, hold on one second, and like load paper it. You got to do it on video. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> every time somebody t- says something, I had a typo. Can we all wait ten minutes while I get the whiteout out for this to dry? Okay. None of these typos are new enough to have the uh, white ribbon that's stamped over it. Right? Uh, false, actually. Uh, I think almost every single one of these typewriters had that. Now, what the problem is, is that finding a tri-colored ribbon, I think, is quite difficult. And I haven't actually attempted to, but just going on Amazon or eBay and finding any old ribbon, you, you basically got two options, which is all black or black and red. So oh. what actually, I think what actually would be cool is if I set it, because all it does is when you do the you color selector, it just moves the... Uh, like where it's the 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 keys are hitting the ribbon and like it just moves that part so i'm guessing now that you mentioned this if i put it on white maybe it would probably do like a half black half red sort of coloring to the fonts but anyway i think you just need to figure out the color paper that you can switch to because you know if you're getting black and red you need something that's dark enough that red will show up or light enough that red will show up but uh, dark enough that when you stamp over it with black, you know, you're good to go. Well, I do have a, I did buy <laughs> some like old typewriter paper or whatever, and I forgot how delicate that stuff is. It's incredibly thin compared to like what we're printing on nowadays. Now, and this is why people are calling you the Tom Hanks of the greater Dallas area. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I would say if you had a typewriter though, I think that, you know, a couple tinkerers in my office had recommended like, oh, well, you there's some sort of kit that you can do and wire up your typewriter to your computer so that you could use the well, typewriter as the keyboard. I think I might, computer. maybe I would restore like a teletype because I actually watch. Okay, shout out. If, if you're into throwback computer stuff, the Curious Mark with a C YouTube channel. Uh, I got a buddy turn, turned me on to this channel when they were restoring an Apollo, like they were legit restoring, uh, and some of it had even been flown, um, an Apollo guidance computer. So they had like the logic gate diagram and one of the guys had like written an emulator before. So they understood how the processor worked, but they just restored it, restored, you know, like and, and some of the memory had to be basically like resoldered together. I mean, just really intense uh, deep dive technical restoration. And, uh, but he also later on, uh, did some work on some, some, uh, teletypes, which, uh, you know, were like early, they would interface compute. There was a moment in time where you could, you know, teletypes might interface directly with sometimes communication systems, or they were also kind of the first terminal interfaces to some computers as well. So, Hmm. Um, but he was doing like, he w- I think he sent like a tweet and <laughs> threw a teletype at one point. So I was pretty, uh, <laughs> I was pretty on that one, but, um, cool. Well, well, how about you though? What's not new with you? Not new with me. Uh, I don't know. Love and life. I, I, <laughs> I, well, here's what's net new for me is this is a, a freaky, we're doing it in the morning instead of the night. We're drinking coffee instead of a random miscellaneous other beverage. And I don't have a secret for today. Well, what are we going to do? Huh. Somebody once told me that you've got a secret to share. (laughs) Hey, Kev. What? Kev. Yeah. I got a secret. What is it? Okay. Here's the secret for today. 
cybersecurity burnout or just burnout in the security field is due to the quality of work and not due to the amount of work. Okay. Let's dive in. Let's so, dive in. I mean, I think that I, I know that uh, I've seen some folks actually in the Dallas area uh, have reached out to me to, to, to do a survey or see if we'd share with the OAS Dallas group, a survey on burnout in the security field, right? They're trying to measure it and, and talk about, you know, what are the factors that go into it? Uh, how do we prevent it? Um, and, uh, you know, I think that outside of just hearing it there, it's a broader conversation that's happening. And I think it maybe somewhat dovetails into that other, uh, episode that we did with Caroline on, you know, perceived mm-hmm. shortage in the market. Right. But, but as I talked to more and more folks about it, uh, I had a assumption going into this that I would hear people saying, oh, you know, I'm just slant. I'm working, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and this is burning me out. Right. And, uh, the answer that came back to me uh, that I actually heard, that's what I was expecting to hear. But what I was really hearing a lot of is, you know, I'm just being asked to do this thing that I enjoy. I enjoy doing this activity, but I'm just doing it so much that I'm sort of losing my zeal for it. And mm. that kind of surprised me. So what do you think about this? I, I, I want to kind of unpack, you know, because the, the statement you made was quality, not quantity, right? Mm-hmm. I, what, what makes work high quality versus low quality, or in, at least in the scale of what is work that people would be happily, happily doing? Is it because engaging, you know, uh, I think what anything to them perceived as perhaps new work, right. Or new and exciting mm-hmm. type of things. Right. I guess right, not right. doing something so much that uh, I, I guess that it's becoming monotonous would be would be the definition of low quality in this, in this conversation. Okay. And I, I mean, I guess it's double edged where, you know, we were talking way back in one of the podcasts about how, you know, penetration testers and red teamers are, that's what everybody kind of thinks up of when they think of cybersecurity, right? Like they're like, those are the actors. Whereas like, you know, I'm chasing around trying to build programs and things like that, or, or, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's just the, um, but that work itself, I mean, in terms of you have to be methodical about it and therefore it's easy at a certain point for you just to be kind of running the same, same discovery tools, running the same test cases, trying even on the more interesting side of things, trying the same social engineering, you know, campaigns, um, you know, using the same pretext and phone, I can see how that would be a little, um, little groundhog day to, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to o- overuse a, a already overused thing. But so, you know, because I think in order to be good at penetration testing, there, there requires a certain level of consistency there. Um, does that contribute is, does that then kind of lower how exciting that work can be if your targets look the same and essentially that ends up being like your testing methodology is very consistent from project to project then, then I can, and then you add on to that maybe a little bit of like, oh, I mean, I'm not even just doing this nine to five. I'm, I'm up at night because this one company doesn't give us a production testing window. And then it's like, there's a lot of other amplifying factors maybe on the quantity side of things 
Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I certainly burnout is not a new topic, right? That's not a new thing. <clears throat> um, but I know that like previously in my experiences dealing with folks that, that were going through burnout, you know, the, the one key trigger was that these folks were working tons of overtime. Right. And so mm -hmm. we know that, Hey, are you doing okay? I mean, you're, you're working the equivalent of almost one and a half, two full-time jobs months and months back to back. Um, and some of the folks are, you know, really a are asking to do that. Right. And yeah. Self-selecting. Yeah. yeah. But some are, some are, you know, stepping up, they're being, they're being asked and they're, and they're stepping up to help out. And, um, it, but, uh, but that was where the, the conversation always seemed to revolve around. I feel like the, for me, in my experience, yeah. right. was, it was always around the amount of work. And I think that this, the quality, like the quality or, or, you know, the repetitiveness, um, uh, is a new dimension to me. And I'm just wondering, you know, do you share that? Like, has, have you dealt with this? Cause folks, folks may not know Kev was a, it is a great manager, right? You know, you, we, I think we both emphasize putting people first, but, um, you know, so I know you that know, you keep a close eye on your folks. So have you, what's your experience with this been? I, I would add that there's a third, there is a third personality type in there. Or like if, you, you know, like some people self-selecting because I, I guess there's two types of self-selectors out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, getting asked to doing it and coming coming through or whatever. It, in my opinion, it always they always kind of end up in the same place, which is here's a person who is trying to get so much work done and is so overworked that all of the projects end up falling a little bit short. You know, in terms of like they just they've taken on too much, right? And maybe there's other com complicated factors in there, but the work quality they never become the hero that, that they imagine or anybody. I mean, there's, uh, there is rare exceptions to that where somebody, okay, this person can still deliver quality work, you know, above 50 or 60 hours, but I don't think largely that's true. Um, so what I'm, what I'm getting, there is a, there is a certain self-selector in there that no matter how much amount of work is assigned to them, they end up, you know, getting themselves engaged in, and you know, that, that, that hero syndrome thing um, for whatever reason. Um, and then it actually, you know, and maybe they're doing it because they want, you know, they want uh, broader recognition, but I think it almost always works the other way. That, that's the sad thing is like, okay, this person took on too much and dropped the ball on this. And, <laughs> you know, like, and, and that's the performance conversations that, that happen. I can recall, you know, a, a handful of times where somebody really, you know, pulling through with, with that high level of worker or whatever, you know, was, was a positive performance thing at a given moment. But largely I think it's just so disruptive to people's lives that it, mm -hmm. it ends up being more of a negative performance thing. So I guess if you're one of these people out there that's feeling burned out uh, and you're doing it because you think people are going to see it, as a, I mean, it's like one metric of how long you worked is different than what your impact on, on the place was. And I know personally, I can't really be that effective in making an impact when I'm, you know, kind of 
running thin on like energy and, you know, like, um, so, so personally for me, I've, I've learned over time that especially as, as you kind of age, <laughs> age a little bit, um, at a certain point, my quality of work just really, um, mm-hmm. you know, I can't solve the same problems. I don't, it's just a lot of the things we're doing, we have to have that clear headed moment of, okay, here is how this problem fits together and here's the way forward. And I, those come much more infrequently to me when I'm, you know, trying to churn through a, a, especially if the work is like repetitive or something like that, I get much and less, less time to, to be impactful. So I don't know. Those are some thoughts. Did I answer your question? Well, yes, but let's, my definition, right, at the top of this thing, the secret, right, that it's like the quality, the how engaged are you in the type of work that you're doing, you know, if you're not very much engaged and you're asked to do a lot of it, or that, it, not, I shouldn't say a lot of it, but that's just what you're doing day in and day out, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's going to trigger burnout much quicker than just having, you know, the sheer number of hours or, but is, how do you define burnout? Is that, you know, is there any other things that you would add to or, Maybe a better way to put it is like, you know, how do you monitor for burnout in your folks? Probably through work quality. Um, would I mean, and I'm not answering your question directly, but if I was going to design mm. a metric that I think would have the strongest correlation to burnout, it would be, you know, mistakes being made. Mm-hmm. Um kind of, you know, that, and that's like <laughs> the Freakonomics guys one time measured how hap- like work job satisfaction by the number of people that were backing into their space at work, meaning, meaning like they're taking an extra few minutes in the beginning of their morning so that as soon as the clock hit five, they could peel out of their parking lot space. <laughs> I don't um, remember that one. Okay. Yeah. I think it was on the podcast episode. So I think oh, that okay. that's a corollary and probably where I would focus. To your initial point of quality of work versus quantity of work, can I? I am not as convinced that that's that those two factors are the only factors or even the biggest factor. I think it's oh yeah much more connected to good leadership or bad leadership. I mean, hmm. I I'm, I'm not we're not talking about a specific place. We've worked in a lot of different places, but I know for me. If I'm being asked to go and do something that is, I'll just say, is like a sacrifice to my work-life balance at one point, I'm much more likely to do that if I see it, see how it fits into a bigger picture, know that it's a temporary thing, and it's and actually doing the work is also some type of motivate. Like, for instance, I personally would be much more likely to run a second shift off hours after the clock ticked five and work on like an automation project that made my job easier. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are the types of things that is probably, you know, the good instances of like, you know, things that are evolutionary in nature, I think rarely tend to inspire as much burnout as those repetitive things. I guess that connects to your, your, but the principal factor of, when those things are happening is leadership. Like if leadership sees, doesn't see a problem or even champions the whole like, Hey, you're going to get a bonus if you get, if you become 200% billable as a consultant, or, 
you know, if, if we've got this big compliance project that you've got to kill yourself to do in, in maybe the enterprise space, like you've got to go out and penetration test everything using this one very specific methodology and you can't think like those types of projects are when they become like non-strategic and you or or they're not actually moving the bar in terms of the security problems people are interested in. Uh, that's those that's like even if you're just doing that on a nine to five, you'll see the same types of burnout things happen because the work is so uninspiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that 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 mentioned at the end was your point at the end right there was like with my thesis, but I totally agree with you. Right. Like that was a shocking thing to me. I don't think that that it's only, you know, what I was proposing is the only contributing factors. Mm-hmm. I would say this was the, a surprising thing that I was yeah, hearing just, it as a, as a big, it was a much bigger factor in my conversations about this than I was expecting. So, so uh, yeah, just, so just the, that role of the manager to one, help people maintain their work-life balance. Like there's some people that will, Always, no matter what's going on, they will always somehow get bogged down into something. Um, and that this is a real prime space for that too, because the layers are kind of infinite, right? Of like, oh, I, you know, at some point you've got, you're doing a, a network pen test and somebody's trying to find a, a, a zero day in a, in a rare component. So it's like, oh, okay, slow down here. Like what was our scope? Like there's, there's that, this, there is so many rabbit holes in mm-hmm. security to that if you wanted and and there is no such thing as you know something that is um uh, you know a, those projects like what well, you know everybody jokes it's like you've never done a network pen test when somebody hasn't you know had complete domain <laughs> access at the end of it and so, but the the um but the leadership's role in helping people understand how to maximize their impact on a business or a problem or whatever is really important. And that's maybe the difference between it's, it's obviously I think a key difference between um, good leadership and bad leadership is that everybody knows that, okay, if I'm going to amp up my game by working more or whatever, I'm doing that. And here's the impact. As soon as that traceability is lost, where it's just becoming, yeah, you make X amount of dollars. We charge Y amount of dollars. So we need to maximize the number of hours that we're multiplying that by. That is, 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 yeah, there's, there's no scenario in which that ever works out to be a fun place to be work or whatever. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's, yeah. okay. Let's draw this back to that, uh, the other discussion that we had with Caroline here for a second, though. Like, so <clears throat> a couple questions easy ones or not easy ones, I should say, but just a couple of questions sort of set this up. And one is, you know, are you hearing this conversation around burnout in the field on LinkedIn, you know, whatever in your conversations, as much as you're hearing the discussion around cybersecurity workforce shortage? I think if I, if I'm flexible about what people are saying, in, ter- in terms of here's what I hear, you know, in this, you know, I, it's like, it's very frustrating f- for people to work without knowing what the plan is. Yeah. Right. No, but or I'm just saying like, changing I'm just saying like 
the conversations, right? The, the zeitgeist that's happening right now. There's certainly a lot of discussion like, around. I'm just so, being overworked. Yeah, just burn. Like yeah, do you, I mean, I feel like I'm hearing a. So my mm-hmm. answer to that question would be: I'm definitely hearing more about the workforce shortage, but I feel like burnout is creeping uh, into the overall conversation for the industry more and more. So uh, that yeah, that's my I, opinion. I, I think I'm not, I, I may be a bit insulated and I'm sure if somebody tried to start that conversation with me, I would immediately just start like, Hey, what's wrong with your, your boss? Like, why, why do you not feel valued? <laughs> like, you know, I, I, to me, it would be a, a, a symptom thing. I haven't, I haven't even paid attention to the trend of it in terms okay. of, of burnout, but, um, that's, and, and obviously there's, this is maybe in a unique time too, cause I can certainly imagine that, you know, getting up and walking to the same little workspace you have every day. I mean, if you're even fortunate, like some people, you know, are, have, they're working from home, um, you know, ergonomics and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> that maybe they have like a little uh, folding chair, like, you know, it, it wasn't always good. Not everybody has, uh, you know, the, 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 ability to have a nice work, but that monotony of just not even going, that's actually, that's what I've been hearing a lot of lately too, is people that are like, I can't wait to get back in the office. I would love to be in an office. Um, you know, what are, you know, what's this, uh, even people that were working from home before, you know, but maybe also sprinkling in some client site time or something like that. You know, what's, you know, I, I think people are also very, uh, burned out about their working um their not working conditions but like just their geographies and things like that like you and I love to go i mean we would go and work insanely hard for the week in Krakow or something like that. And I don't even remember the work we did, right? Like it was just a fun place to be a fun time, you know? Mm. Um, but we did work, you know, really hard on those, those project sprints. Like we, a lot of times we strove for like, you know, delivering the thing on a Friday of, and it, you know, it was probably three work, three weeks worth of work or something like that. So I think that that's an amplifying factor right now. If people are complaining about burnout, it's probably a big factor is just like, the day, the lack of daily variety, the lack of interact human interaction too, I think is all going to pile on there. Oh, I, I absolutely agree with you on both of those counts. So I've been fortunate to get limited permission to go back to our office, which is still closed for COVID reasons, um, like many places. And I, can't even tell you how awesome it was to to go right, and that's and, a room that has nobody else in it and yeah like, and that was just even, even just to change your geography to get up you know exactly I mean, the change in environment was huge yeah. for me um mm-hmm. that and it 15 really, minutes of drive time or i know i i know that you hate to drive but you know like you take some of that and i hear people being like and there's very valid reasons that people you know the the also the push for the flexibility to work from home I love I mean I you know the the LinkedIn and you know these big companies that are saying you know what pretty much everybody's always going to have the ability to work from home that's cool I like in in my personal thing about going in I loved I like to collaborate with people you know in person and, and work on hard problems together so I can't wait till that comes back but there's other other people around where it's it's just the geography or it's just having some background noise. 
um, all, all those things. So, so hopefully I think that there's a big mental health correlation between some of the things people have been through and then this, this resulting, you know, less input, less things going on. You focus on your work. You can get burned out like that too. Yeah. I think for me, it was just like, it, it, there was just not really a divide. And so once I was actually able to have an office to go to and, you know, so my home was my home and my office was for work, right? Because those two things really bled together where it was just this, you know, you know, as we're eight, 10 months into strictly working remotely from home, it's sort of this nebulous, all right, well, I'm up in the morning and I'm looking at emails on my phone and, you know, it just all sort of became together where you're, I just felt like I was doing that all, you know, the entire course of the day, right. It's like this working yeah. environment, which, uh, you know, so that just, I think that I don't, I don't think I felt burnt out by that. I just sort of felt fa- sort of this like work from home fatigue, if you will, like that. Uh, I just, I like that to your point, people are saying, Hey, yeah, you know, we're going to support work from home. I'm of the opinion, you know, the ideal situation for me is that, you know, you can work from home if you want to, but we've got a space for you, right? If you want to collaborate with other people, I think. Yeah, I, that, I like that. The that Steve Jobs comment about like the hallway conversations and that's where, you know, the collaboration and innovation sparks. I totally agree with that. I, I like reminisce fondly about being at, at you know, our office in uh, pre-COVID and it's all that like in between time meetings and going and catching up with folks and finding out what they're working on and, and having just different conversations that spark different ideas. I don't see the zoom or, you know, whatever the virtual I, meeting equivalent to that happening. That brings up, <clears throat> I don't know. It's not a productivity podcast, but here's some things that I have seen. Like or maybe like, let's maybe tackle some specific things. People getting burned out from context switching of of like there's four projects going on and they're working and in, involved in all four projects a little bit so that they just kind of change what they're doing a hundred times a day. That is really hard on people. And the productivity is not like it's not like they're contributing the same level at the same level as they would if they did one project for four weeks and then switch projects and did one project. Like, so I think that multi, you know, the simultaneous project thing is not even linear in terms of how much harder it is to do. But when you're actually thinking about things or whatever, you need soak time. You need to be, you know, working on one problem. And when the project gets a little bit slow, not just switching it and changing directions, but actually thinking about how to get over the next next hurdle and things. So I am a huge when people start when I if I have a somebody I'm working with, a colleague, a peer, somebody who, who works for me, my advice when they start coming to me about burnout issues, a lot of times I I try to give them some tools that I've used at different times. One of which is blocking my calendar to reduce to to increase the amount of consecutive time mm-hmm. that I can think about and move a problem forward. Same. That has been huge for me. Um, and also maybe sealing my calendar for periods of time, like the day out. So maybe at, you know, when I'm going right before I sign off for the day, 
maybe just freezing my calendar to say people can't hop on there immediately and get my time and pull me away from what I'm doing just because my calendar is free. So I, I don't do that all the time, but when I am feeling burned out, I think that that's a useful step. And uh, one other thing that has really helped me <clears throat> as a barometer to know when I when I am, because it's not always something that you necessarily feel, like when your performance dies or you're distracted or something like that. I mean, this is this is basically at this point a chess podcast, and that's <laughs> primarily how I use uh, chess. Is I can see my concentration performance. Um, reflected back in in kind of a different objective way, right? So I know how well I'm playing chess because it's measured, and the, I, you know, when I look at the mistakes I make, how obvious they are after they've been, you know, a new like versus my ability to look ahead on the board or something like that. So a creative or some type of mental exercise that people do that hopefully they enjoy. That also gives them some type of read because it's hard to tell when you're in the driver's seat all the time of how burned out you might be. Um, that mental fatigue, you know, that might be something that people could introduce into their lives if, you know, make crossword puzzles or Sudoku or something that just like there's there's kind of that performance element that you can see a little bit of, you know, clear headedness or or not and more rest or not or, you know, maybe spending more social time or not, you know, like how, yeah. how do you, how do you tune? So that, that's been huge for me the last five years, especially as of getting, and we're not, <laughs> we're not old, but we're older. And there's a huge amount of difference between how many things I could think about and keep moving when I was even 30 than now when I'm closing in on 40. Yeah. Well, those were some good uh, tips and, and suggestions on how to deal with burnout. Uh, you've also hit my rule of thumb for this podcast, which is uh, as soon as it, the, we've, our first mention of chess is a natural sign that we should probably wrap <laughs> things up. Uh, yep. But uh, also that being said, because now it's my turn to talk about chess, right before the recording of this podcast, I finally hit 1500 ELO for uh, for rapid this rapid is Lee games, chess rapid rating. Wow. Which is uh, that's good. <laughs> which is good, but I have to put it in. I mean, it's good for me. I do have to put it in perspective that uh, someone never having played a game of chess in their life is given the rank of fifteen hundred upon signing <laughs> up for an account. So I am now uh, at the level of a. a complete novice in the eyes of Lee chess, but uh, it's no, all, it's only up from that's here. That's not how the scale works. That's uh, put there because that is supposed to be an average. That's kind of the curve point. So you're now a suitably average chess player, Dennis. That's good. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, it has uh, yeah, been a no, lot of hard work to get there. I can tell you that. I, I, uh, I know I, I've, I've been there. And in fact, I'm still, I I lost I was on a bit of a streak, you know, I was playing one or two slow games a week and I lost one and I haven't even gone back uh to figure out why it was one of those games that you don't know why you lost yet. So mm -hmm. I got to go back and figure that out and learn something cuz those are not the most fun, but those are definitely how you learn the most. So Totally. Cool. All right, bud. All right, my friend. It was good catching up. Yeah, thanks for bringing a secret on, a secret on you, Dennis. Dennis shares a secret for the first time <laughs> since we found out he went to 
high school with a 28 year old weirdo. <laughs> we got to do a retrospective. That's got to be another mid season type. Yeah. Of, except uh, we or, have no news because we, we did the, <laughs> we did no legwork after just uh, figuring everything yeah. out. He's so, probably like, maybe I'll surprise you. Maybe that will be the second that I will have had a conversation with him. Oh, that would be a heck of a, of a in season 2.5 special update. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I just gave myself some insurmountable homework. So yeah, that will never address again. All right. <laughs> Sounds okay. good. Thanks Dennis. Have a great day.